The world was falling apart for Grant Taylor in the movie Facing the Giants. Grant Taylor was the head coach for the Shiloh Eagles, a high school football team with a losing record. One day, Grant comes home late from work. When Brooke, his wife, asks if something is wrong, Grant replies, I don't know where to start. I overheard some fathers talking to Dan. They're, they're pushing him to get rid of me. They said I wasn't capable of winning. They called, they called me dead weight. Everyone has lost confidence in me, Brooke. I was so sure that I could turn this football program around and I've just sunk it lower. I've tried so hard. Why can't I win? I can't provide you with a decent home. I can't provide you with a decent car. I'm a failing coach with a losing record. And I can't give you the children you want. It's me. Like everything else, it's me. We can't have children because of me. What's God doing? I mean, why is this so hard? And the scene ends with Brooke and Grant crying bitterly at the kitchen table. I'm quite certain that there are people here who have experienced similar pain. The pain and loss of infertility. The difficulty of finding or, or keeping a job and, and as a result having, having difficulty making ends meet. And there are those with constant pain, emotional and physical. And some of you have experienced deep loss in your family who have who've had a family member unexpectedly taken away from you. And many of us have asked the question, what are you doing, God? Habakkuk had deep, hard questions, and, and he let God know about it. This morning, we are looking at what we should do when, when we have questions about what God is doing or not doing in our lives and, and in the world. Habakkuk is, is quite unusual as a prophetic book, for it consists of a conversation between God and, and the prophet Habakkuk, a two-way conversation. Most prophetic books uh, consist of God's message to his people. The first two chapters consist of Habakkuk's prayers or complaints and God's answers, so it alternates between the two. And then the third chapter consists of Habakkuk's song of praise to God. The book of Habakkuk waits no time. After a very brief introduction, Habakkuk dove into his struggles in verse 2 of chapter 1. O Lord, how long must I call for help, but you do not listen? Habakkuk had been calling on God for quite some time, and, and nothing had changed. The same problems remained. Why, O oh Lord, are you ignoring me? Don't you hear me? Why do you tolerate wrong? Habakkuk was, was, was at a loss. He, he, he looked all around him and all he saw was, was violence, destruction, and injustice. Verse 4 says, The wicked surround the righteous. 
Why, God, are you not saving your people from the wicked and and injustice? Habakkuk was tired of the way the world was. We cannot be sure of what kind of injustice Habakkuk was experiencing. the, The reference of the Babylonians indicates that they were becoming the world dominant power and the Assyrian Empire was falling apart. So Habakkuk takes place around 600 BC, probably just after Josiah's reign. Judah's uh, leaders, rulers, were oppressing their own people. Why would God let injustice prevail? Why was his law ignored? He accused God of not listening and of turning his, his face blindly away from injustice. I know in Habakkuk's first prayer, he asked God four questions. I have some more questions, and maybe you do too. Why, God, do you allow babies to die in in abortions when you hate murder? In 2010, the last year on record, 64,641 babies are known to have been aborted in Canada. Officials believe that the number is significantly higher since uh, Quebec's numbers aren't known and some clinics don't report all the abortions. Why, oh God, were 300 schoolgirls abducted in Nigeria and Nathan O'Brien and his grandparents in Calgary? Why is there violence constantly in the news? This is the headline I, I read just this past Thursday. Air raid sirens wailed across Jerusalem Thursday as Palestinian militants continued to fire rockets across Israel while the country's military stepped up its offensive against the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip. I don't ask these questions to, to expect answers, but God honors when we lament, when we are sad about such things. He expects us to be sad, just like he is sad about abortions, abductions, and violence between nations. God answers Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 5 to 11. And the fact that God answered should give us no doubt that God does hear his people. He heard all of Habakkuk's prayers And he hears all of ours. Not only does God hear our prayers, he answers them. But as verses 5 to 11 reveal, God often answers in surprising ways. And often in ways that we don't like. God answers Habakkuk, but doesn't directly answer all of his questions. God says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. God gives four commands in the beginning of chapter 2 to to forcibly say, Watch and see, I am working. I am doing a work right now and will continue to do so. I am raising up the Babylonians. You know, those terrible, ruthless people. These are the ones who take houses that aren't theirs. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves. Their own strength is their God. 
What? Habakkuk couldn't believe it. What are you doing, God? How could you use those terrible Babylonians? They're worse than we are. Aren't you the everlasting one, O oh God? Aren't you the holy one? I thought you were too pure to look on evil. I thought you couldn't tolerate wrong. How can you stand back and be silent and allow the wicked Babylonians swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? Are you, are you going to keep allowing the Babylonians to keep destroying nations without mercy? I hope you've noticed that Habakkuk isn't afraid to question our holy God, the God of the universe. Habakkuk doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what God is doing. But God is working. But what he's doing often doesn't make sense. Let me use a, a small example to illustrate this. I had difficulty figuring out what God was calling me to do for a career. I asked God many times, why aren't you making it clear to me? What do you want me to do? My, my career plan felt like this. It, it was all curvy and there were some 90 degree turns and even some dead ends. There were se several years where, when it didn't make sense to me. But now I understand that God was preparing me then for the future. Now I understand more fully what God was doing. But often, our questions are never answered. Often we just don't understand what God is doing. And one of the reasons we, we don't understand how God is working is because we have such a, a limited perspective. We can only see the present, only what is in front of us. And even that, we often don't understand. Another reason we, we struggle to see God working in the world or in our lives is because, as we learned last week, God is a holy God. He is set apart from us. His, his ways are, are, are way above us. God says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. <laughs> Habakkuk is right about what he says about God in verses 12 and 13. God is everlasting. God is holy. His eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate sin and evil people. Yet the surprising thing is that God uses evil for his purposes. And he's in control of it. God promised that he would use the evil Babylonians to judge the Israelites. And he uses evil nations today as well for his own righteous purposes. We don't have time to go into detail with God's second answer in chapter 2. But in summary, God promised that he would judge Babylon as well. Babylon's evil domination would end. 
So God allows evil at this time in history to continue. One of the main reasons why there is evil in this world is because we have sinned. And when sin entered the world, the whole world was affected or the whole world was infected. Romans 8, and, and I realize I, I'm going to be referring to Romans 8 quite a few times, so if you'd like to follow along, um, you may do so. Romans 8.22 says that the whole creation has been groaning as in, the, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. God will judge all the evildoers. One day abortion will stop and the abortionists will be judged. And those who abducted the Nigerian girls will be judged. And one day all abductions will stop completely. No answer will completely satisfy us when we have questions about what God is doing. But what should we do when we have questions about what God is doing? The same thing that Habakkuk did. We must get on our knees and pray. God didn't rebuke Habakkuk in any way for his direct questioning of who God is. And maybe to our ears, he seemed kind of disrespectful. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety, all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. God wants to be in a relationship with us and he wants us to talk to him when things are great and he wants us to talk to him when we are struggling. The Psalms are, are full of questions and with people who had deep struggles. We may not always say the right thing to God when we have questions and struggles, but we are right to get on our knees before our all-powerful and loving and holy God. In the movie Facing the Giants, after Grant and Brooke were cry crying bitterly at the kitchen table, the next scene shows Grant at 3 o'clock in the morning reading his Bible and praying. And when Brooke wakes up and sees her husband in the next room, she too kneels by her bed and prays. Sometimes people say, well, there's nothing else we can do. I, I guess we just might as well pray. But praying should be the first thing that we do. It's the best thing we can do. You see, when, when we pray, we are expressing faith in God. We pray to a God who is in control. When we have questions about what God is doing or are struggling in some way, we must go to God in faith. At the beginning of God's second answer, we find the, the key verse of this book. God says in verse 4, See, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. In other words, God is saying, yes, the Babylonians are arrogant and evil. But trust me, have faith in what I am doing. I will look after everything. I just thought of this verse this, this morning. Romans 8, verse 28. Probably a well-known well one to many of you. It goes like this. 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And I must emphasize that good to us might be different than good to God. We might like to say that God works for the pleasure of those who love him. That would be a little easier to take. But God works for the good, for our good. God calls us to have faith. Romans 8, 31 to 32 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Without a doubt, we can put our faith into a God who has already given us everything through Christ. We have Christ, and he is a guarantee of God's love and his presence and his care and all we need to face the challenges and struggles in our lives. Later in the, in the movie Facing the Giants, when, when Brooke went to, to the doctor yet again and got another negative pregnancy result, she went into, into the parking lot and she looked up and she said to God, I will still love you, God. She was expressing her faith in God that it was up to him whether they would have children or not and that he knew best. It was, a, it was an act of faith and that took her a while to get to that point. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ died for us. Christ set us free to live in the freedom of being forgiven people, set free to be in a relationship with him, and to even ask him pointed questions. Christ is our interceder. Like Habakkuk, Christ intercedes on our behalf. Returning back to Romans 8, it says in verse 34, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Habakkuk is a, is a type of Christ. He was a, a prophet who interceded for his fellow brothers and sisters concerning all the injustice around him. And Christ also intercedes for us his brothers and sisters. Christ is on our side. He communicates and pleads with his Father about our struggles, our needs, and injustices. Romans 8, verse 35, asks the question, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Though it feels like we face death all day long, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Jesus conquered sin and he conquered death 
Jesus' resurrection is, is a guarantee of our future resurrection. A day is coming in the not-so-distant future when Jesus will come and recreate all things. Sin, evil, death, pain, and suffering will end for those who are in Christ. I love the words of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The, the old order that we live in now, the, the sin that we experience, the, the death, the evil, our pain-filled world will pass away. Amen.